Right, well, I'd like to begin by thanking, uh, thanking Marty for stealing the thunder of the uh, introduction of my talk. That's good, though. I, I can rush straight into the talk. So how about we pray, and then we'll look at this uh, part of God's Word together. Uh, before I pray, though, have these uh, handouts open today, right? You'll, you'll notice there's a lot of uh, Bible verses there and some helpful points, I hope, uh, as well. And it'd be good if you can follow along with that as we go. Let's pray. Loving Father, we do pray that now as we spend some time in your word, you'll help us to understand again your great love for us in Jesus and that you'll move in our hearts so that we respond by loving one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I imagine just the impact of the left-hand side of the page here with all of these references to love, to love one another, uh, makes us recognise that we're dealing with something that's actually quite important. Uh, it's significant if you Google love one another uh, or if you type it into Bible Gateway, these are some of the passages that will come up. And it really is a who's who of Bible verses, isn't it? These are important verses. Some of them are very well known to us. Uh, they challenge us in all kinds of areas. But I want us to think a little bit about where we've come from. We've looked already at how love comes from God, that the demonstration of God's love is seen most clearly in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we've seen that Christ's love compels us to love others. Uh, our call to love God in response with all of our heart and soul and strength, how God moves us to love others, uh, to love our enemies, for example. Now we hear that we are to love one another. And the one another language is very important in the New Testament. Uh, again, if you were just to type in one another, you would find, I think it's something like 46 references uh, which are encouragements or commands for Christians to treat one another in particular ways. The character of the Christian life, it's communal, it's relational. Uh, what comes to us from God displays itself in the way that we treat one another. Uh, not only this, but we see in Scripture something of uh, a layer of hierarchy in how we are to respond. So our first response is clearly to God. But then where should the responsibility be after that? Are we more responsible to the world out there or should we be more responsible uh, to one another in here? Well, let me point to you uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. It's printed on the right side of your handouts. Where Paul writes to the Galatians and says, Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people. So he's got the whole of the community in focus. He's got everyone around about him, the people at work, the people on the beach, the people down the street, the next door neighbours, the people driving on the roads, the people running on the footpaths, all the people around he's got on view. As you have opportunity, do good to all people. And then he narrows the focus, especially especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See, what God's calling us to is to be people who display his love widely, but who focus it deeply 
on our brothers and sisters in Christ. I guess that's rather in keeping with the way we think about our earthly families as well, isn't it? We might have a love and like and relationship with a whole range of people out there in our lives, but there's something particularly focused, particularly special. Well, we see here that God's calling us to love one another, and there's a particular shape to it. Uh, And looking through the variety of verses here, I think we'll pull together some of these ideas. First of all, we're going to look at how we're to love, and then where and when, and then why. And the first how to love is really recapping where we began this series. If you look at the top verses on the left from John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. How are we to love? As I have loved you, Jesus says. See, Jesus is the pattern, he's the model, he's the blueprint for how we are to love others. If you want to know what love should look like, then go back and read this passage, which we've just done, in context, and you'll see that it involved Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Now, that might not mean a great deal to us. We tend to keep fairly clean feet, or many many of us do anyway. But, But if you lived in the Middle East at the time of Jesus and were wearing sandals along the dusty, dirty roads that were full of animal droppings and all kinds of other things, you would not want the job of washing anybody's feet. In fact, the ancient uh, historians tell us that this was a job that you would get the least of slaves to do for the honoured guests. And yet Jesus, as the Lord, gathered together with his disciples, says, no, he must wash their feet. He's giving a model of what love truly looks like. Love is stooping in humility to do the menial, loving task to the person who should be serving them. That's what Jesus is doing. And so he demonstrates what love is. And in some ways, even that act of washing their feet isn't what it's really all about because in that same event, we read of the betrayal of one of his followers And Jesus then moves from that point onwards to teach about life without him because he's about to die. You see, the washing of the disciples' feet is getting them ready for the way that he's going to wash them from the inside out through his death upon the cross. The the love of Jesus is to give shape to our love for one another. So there's nothing flippant about this. It's not a small thing to love one another as I have loved you. I mean, even to take whatever might be the equivalent of washing the disciples' feet and think, what would we be willing to do for the sake of one another, let alone giving our lives for our brothers and sisters? Jesus is there, it's at the Passover, he's about to be betrayed. He talks of the cross where he will be glorified. And it's hard to put limits on love like this, isn't it? You can't kind of work out boundaries where if you've done that, then you've kept what's expected of you when it comes to love. It just keeps on going. Because none of us can love like Jesus loved. And Jesus, remember, did that for his enemies. We see as we look at this that the whole thrust of the love that we are to have for one another 
is fundamentally about an external, outward, other person focus. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 5 and, uh, and verse 15. Galatians 5 and verse 15, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Here is the focus to love, not to love ourselves, but to love one another, serving one another humbly in love. Now, I think it's important that we see what this is teaching because there is a very strong belief in our world today that the way to understand love is to first love ourselves. And there seems to be an authenticity that comes with putting yourself and your own needs and your own desires, your own wants, first before a love for others. And we might have kind of seen that idea creeping into the church. If you really want to love, then you've got to work out how to love yourself first. But I challenge you to look at the scriptures to see where that comes from. Where do you find that idea? Where are we pushed to love ourselves first so that we've got the foundation to be able to love others? Is that the way scripture talks? Now, yes, it's true that we are to love our neighbour as ourself. We saw that already in one of the passages that we've looked at. That's not a command to love ourselves. It's the assumption that we will. The husband is to love his wife as his own body because they are becoming one flesh together. It's not a command to love your own body. It's the assumption on which the command to love your one flesh body that is your wife on which that is founded. Now I think that there are kind of nuances and ways that we can understand that, that we are to respect ourselves, that we are to recognise that even our own lives, our bodies, our experience, our circumstances, our gifts and everything that we have is a gift from God. So we shouldn't despise that. And in that sense, there is a love that is appropriate but I think that's more a kind of appreciation of God's gift and a recognition of the stewardship that comes with looking after that gift rather than a command to love ourselves first so that we can love one another. And I'll take you to another verse, and I think this one is the most instructive on this idea of self-love. Mark these words Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's not on your outline. But mark these words, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. There's a lot of love in that passage. But we are not to be lovers of self. We're not to be lovers of money. We're not to be lovers of pleasure rather than God. You see, it's not self-absorbed love that's commended for us here. The foundation and platform with which we can love one another 
isn't getting in touch with ourselves, but getting deeply in touch with how much we are loved by Christ. If we know the love of Christ for us, how much God has poured out on us, Jesus dying in our place, God's spirit living within us, if we know that love from God, then we have the power and capacity to be able to love one another. It's not a new age search within that will get us there. It's a recognition of what God has done for us. We see as we continue to look through these passages some wonderful kind of uh, pictures of what this will look like. Um, come to a few of these passages. So Ephesians 4, be completely humble and gentle, be patient and bearing with one another in love. Or down in 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, finally all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. So sorry, taking these ideas together, humble, gentle, patient, forbearing, compassionate, there you've got a picture of what love is to look like. Now I want to do something with you that is a little bit different. I want you to think about what could not be an application of this idea. What would be an impossible application of Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2? I don't often do this, I'd often ask you to have a real application, but I want you to think about an impossible application. If you're confused, let me prompt you. See, it would not be possible to apply this command to love one another in Ephesians 4 by being proud, because we're to be humble. Right? That's an impossible application that we should be proud nor that we should be aggressive because we're called to be gentle. It would be an impossible application to think that it's okay to be impatient with one another because love is patient. So to be intolerant because we are to forbear with one another and to be uncaring about what's going on in other people's lives, surely that couldn't possibly be love for one another because love is compassionate. And humble. See, sometimes it's helpful to think about what it couldn't be, to understand and get insight into what it must be. As we read on, we're to love more and more deeply and to spur each other on. Look, look at this picture of, of debt in uh, Romans chapter 13. It's a passage that's talking about our attitude uh, in society, to government, to authorities and so on. And he says, Paul, as he writes this to the Romans, in chapter 13, he says, let no debt remain outstanding. In other words, if you've got debts, pay them off. Don't, try not to live in debt. Uh, I think he'd have something to say today about credit cards and uh, all the afterpay strategies and so on. It's a very dangerous thing and a very unhelpful thing to be constantly living in debt. But there is one debt that's good to live in. That's what he's going on to talk about. He says, no, it's okay to continue in the debt of loving one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That is, we are to recognise the importance of continually loving one another. 
We always have a debt to love each other. That's a continual responsibility. And it's interesting what he says to the Thessalonians. In fact, it's delightful what he writes to the Thessalonians because we get two letters. This is what he says in the first letter. Chapter 4, verse uh, 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Now about love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more. That, what a great letter to get from the Apostle. Keep loving one another. And I know you are loving one another. So just keep doing it more and more. Keep on loving each other. And for the most part, that's what I'd want to say if I was writing to Salt. I see that you're loving one another. I want to urge you to keep on loving one another. And then he writes another letter. So in chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, verse 3, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Now that's a lot better than the two letters that the Corinthian church got. God wants us to love and to keep loving. 1 Peter chapter 1, we read, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. I'm going to let you in a little bit on the, uh, the Greek that's behind this idea. To love one another deeply from the heart. I think it's a good translation, but literally it means to love one another at full stretch. So think back to the Olympics, absolutely striving to the tape, full stretch, every muscle tense, flying down as fast as you can. That's the attitude to love, full stretch from the heart, deeply, passionately committed to this. And how do we keep at it? Well, look at these encouragements in the book of Hebrews. We often read these words, and particularly, I think, during this pandemic, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, this is in a passage where he's just said, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Keep meeting. In fact, I think that's the next verse. What should you do when you meet? Spur one another on to love and good works. So, why do we go to church? to spur one another on to love and good works. So what's church about? Well, it's love training. We, we get together in boot camp to encourage each other to strain forward full stretch in love and to show humility and compassion and gentleness and forbearance and in our humility to recognise that we need God's help and we need each other's encouragement. And so we value meeting together to push each other on. Why? So that we might love one another and keep doing that and love God and love our neighbour as ourselves and love our enemies. So where and when do we do this? Well, let's think a little bit about what goes on at church and then what we do during the week. 
So a little bit first of all at church. Um, what have you got planned? This is my question for you. What have you got planned for loving one another at church? Now it's okay if you don't have anything planned for this week. <laughs> but it won't be for next week. Because we've now seen that God wants us to gather to spur each other on to love and to good works. So what are you going to plan to do? Now, of course, some people have particular jobs when it comes to church. My job seems to be running around with an iPhone. Um, some people are singing and playing, and it's wonderful. Some people are operating the PA at this point. They can turn me off if they don't want to. Um, some people are out there looking after our kids and teaching them about Jesus. There's all kinds of different things when we've been able to have our food and drink together. Some people have been preparing that. Some people come and, and open up early or set up the flag. Some people get things out of the trailer and, and set them in place for people. Uh, when we're at the school, some people set up chairs and move them away. And, and there's all kinds of things that people do, jobs that go with church on Sunday. But friends, I don't want you to think that you need a job to spur one another on to love and to good works. Rather, if you have a job, I hope that you can see its contribution to spurring each other on to love and good works. If this sound was just absolutely appalling, and it's great, thanks Chris, uh, you wouldn't be encouraged. You might be thinking, oh, that feedback, I can't possibly cope with that again. And maybe some of you on Zoom as you're listening to this are thinking, oh, gee, it's just not as good as being there. I'm just itching to get back again. hope so. That'll be good. See you soon. Um, there are things that we can do, and you don't need a job to be able to encourage one another, but you do need this to think. Notice what he says there in Hebrews 10. Consider how you might spur one another on to love and good works. You've got to engage brain, think about what you're doing, think about who's going to be there, think about why you're meeting, and work out how you might be able to spur each other on. Now, I'm going to try and illustrate this a little bit. All right? um, I'm, most of this will be rhetorical because we don't have enough time to engage with full-on conversations about this. But I might say to Marty, um, how is it, mate, being a, a Christian when you're the special ed teacher in the high school during the week? What are some of the challenges for you? Are there some things that I could be praying for? I might say to Annette, what are some of the tough things about being a single mum? Are there things that we could support you with, that we could be praying for you? I might say to Keith, how are you going to work, mate? Are you getting any more opportunities to talk to Garth or others about the gospel? Um, do you need any help with that? Are there any resources that might be useful? I might talk to Rob and say, Rob, what's it like? leading in that well-being unit at the school. I imagine there's a lot of tough things that are, are going on for you. And, and I might say to Jackie, Jackie, what, what's it like coming along to Salt? Are you enjoying that? Can we encourage you with that? Um, I might say to Bevan, you've got a tough job, mate. You've got to do all that planning and all that meeting with people and you're doing the admin and other things and then you get these random strangers who drop in and ask about how to object to a building across the street and... And how do you actually stay focused and make the time to be able to get to Bible study and come along to church? 
And what are the challenges, Beck, for your, for your husband as he's moving into a school where there's all this tension at the moment around vaccinations and so on, and, and some teachers not able to work at the moment? How do we work through that as Christians? And um, I could just keep going around the room. And if you are not able to ask those specific questions, let me give you one that you can. It starts like this. G'day, I'm Dave. I'm not sure if we've met before. Um, I'd love to get to know you. Where do you come from? You've been here before? Um, oh, someone brought you. How do you know them? Are you regular at church? Okay, you usually go somewhere else. That's okay, good. You can just ask questions. And then through the week, what have you got planned to spur each other on in love? See, sometimes uh, it's all we can do to make church. And I get that. Life is hectic with family, with work, with other responsibilities. But are there opportunities in the midst of family to love one another? Yeah, I think so. And sometimes that's the place where it's most challenging, isn't it? And what about at work? Maybe it's more of a love your enemies or love your mates than a love one another. But how can you love them in such a way that they are attracted to the message about Jesus? Because you see, one of the things and a very key thing that Jesus says here. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Really? Is that how it works? Well, I think it can be. We had Bible study at our place during the week. And uh, we were looking at these passages and I asked two guys in the group, one who'd become a Christian just a few years ago, what it was like for him to go along to church as a new believer. And he was able to share how it was such a different group of people focused together in practical ways, loving one another and caring for one another, that it made a big impact. I asked Keith, who became a Christian last year, what it was like to come along to this strange group of people following Jesus. And he shared some thoughts on that. As you think about the people that you know out there, around about you, what difference do you think it would make to them taking Jesus seriously if they were able to witness a community of God's people loving each other deeply, humbly, compassionately. I think what Jesus is saying is it's the best apologetic that we've got. We don't argue people into the kingdom of God, but we can display transformed lives that point to Jesus. So friends, let's encourage one another and all the more as the day is approaching, when we'll not be able to do that anymore. 
Now, it might be that Jesus comes back. It might be that we go to him. Or it might be that they stop churches from meeting. But let's not take it for granted. Thanks. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we, um, we thank you for your love for us in Jesus. And um, it's just mind-blowing that you would do that. And we pray that, that a trickle of that love might fill our hearts and flow into the way that we treat each other. Um, help us to be compelled by the love of Christ. Help us to be transformed by your spirit. Uh, help us to apply ourselves to loving each other, to taking an interest in one another, to noticing each other, to noticing when we don't see each other and, and to think and to explore what's going, in, going on in each other's lives so that we can be encouraging each other on this journey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.